everybody. Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. This one was a little tough for me to record, not because I don't love the movie and have a lot to say about it, but because I got a new puppy. Her name is Dolly Parton Ellis, and it's just been tricky trying to find time to sit down and write because she's here, there, and everywhere. She's bouncing off the walls. But I was really excited to come back and talk about The Dark Crystal today. We talked a little bit about horrifying kids movies of the 80s and 90s a couple of seasons ago and today's movie of choice definitely falls into that category even during rewatches as a grown adult I find myself cringing it's spooky I'm not a horror flick kind of girl and so there's elements to this movie that I find very frightening there's a very specific look a very specific mood to this movie that is unsettling to say the least I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall as talked about the creatures and the world and they were discussing the plot which I know kind of shifted as as they progressed with the script writing in the movie and how during those conversations they justified this being a kids slash family movie and yet for me at least it's it's one of those core ones those core kids movies that have withstood the test of time there are moments when the magic slips and it's clear that either A, it's a human in a gelfling suit climbing rocks, or B, very clearly a puppet on a costumed actor running around as a landstrider. But overall, the darkness of the Skeksis and the calm wonder of the mystics still delights. It's one of my favorites. And that's why we're talking about it today, because we're in season five and we're talking about Jim Henson's storytelling and creations. And I think this is one of the best. It's also one of those movies where I remember asking myself, what I would do if I was told out of nowhere that I was destined to help save the world. This I do this a lot with movies and even with books. I do not picture myself in the role necessarily. I usually create, I cast it as a sense as if it was a movie as I'm reading a book. And so I have a very clear picture, but it's never me. I am not the protagonist in the story. I know some people put themselves in the story, but I often afterwards step back to think, you know, what would I have done? What would I have done if this prophecy, this, you know, this burden fell on me to do? What if there was a quest before me, a crystal shard? Go find it. But we're not going to give you any specifics or directions. You know, it's it's interesting. I I don't think I would do well if I was destined to save the world. I'm just going to throw it out there. I do think I would trip and fall into a hole really early on in the journey and either die or just put myself out like my leg is broken. I cannot move on. And at times, Jen, who is our hero in this, well, one of the heroes, I don't think, well, by the end, he's not like the main hero, though, which is interesting. He can be kind of annoying. He's a little whiny. But then then you kind of realize he's every man, the reluctant hero, the one that goes even without confidence or courage, the one that wants to quit when things get tough. And it's often emotional. I would definitely have been Jen instead of the wise, logical, determined Kira who has who is raised in the wild and seemed to possess so many more talents. And I think it makes the story better, though, in the end. Hero stories are better when the actual hero wants to throw in the towel and just go home, wants to bury his head in the ground and pretend like nothing is happening because that seems far more real and genuine than the go-getter. And it, it really makes the climax of the story, the inevitable battle or conflict that much sweeter. I mean, slightly off topic. That's why I always loved Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter series far more than I ever liked Harry. I hated Harry for most of the books. Book five, 
I would have quit um, if people hadn't said, no, keep going, keep going, because he just, to me, was an awful, awful teenager, and I just couldn't stand him. But Ron was the kid that didn't have to be there, didn't have to stick it out with Harry. He wasn't the chosen one. He wasn't perfect or brave, brave but he was he was loyal, and he was constant, and he was willing, despite his misgivings and his lack of talent. He was also a calming voice when Harry's, Harry's stubborn ego and pride would get in the way. And I just, he was always my favorite. And I think it's for that same reason that he was kind of the reluctant hero, which I I like better. I I like the complicated hero. But that's, that Harry Potter story is a conversation for another day. Back to The Dark Crystal. So The Dark Crystal is a 1982 dark fantasy film directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. According to Wikipedia, Henson's inspiration for the visual aspects of the film came around 1975-76 after he saw an illustration by Leonard B. Lubin in a 1975 edition of Lewis Carroll's poetry showing crocodiles living in a palace wearing elaborate robes and jewelry. The film's conceptual roots lay in Henson's short-lived The Land of Gorch, which I had never heard of, which also took place in an alien world with no human characters. According to Oz, Henson's intention was to get back to the darkness of the original Grimm's fairy tales, as he believed that it was unhealthy for children to never be afraid. So he just decided to scare the bejesus out of them, apparently. Um, Henson formulated his ideas into a 25-page story he entitled The Crystal, which he wrote while he was snowed in at an airport hotel. That little huff you hear is a puppy who is sleeping right next to me, dreaming apparently. Henson's original concept was set in a world called Mithra, a wooded land with talking mountains, walking boulders, and animal-plant hybrids. The original plot involved malevolent race called the Reptus Group, which took power in a coup against the peaceful Unazi, maybe, led by Malcolm the Wise. Malcolm. I like it when in these, like in Dune, how there's, um, what's his name? Like Duncan Idaho. It's like, where did that, <laughs> you're in the middle of a sci-fi movie. Where does that come from? Why would somebody be named Malcolm in this? I just love that. The last survivor of the Unazi was Malcolm's son, Brian, another one, who was adopted by the Bada, Mithra's mystical wizard. This draft contained elements in the final product, including the three races, the two funerals, the quest, a female secondary character, the crystal, and the reunification of the two races during the Great Conjunction. So that's a little background history about the Dark Crystal. But now we're, we're ready to just dive into that summary where we're going to talk about what actually happens. Hopefully you've seen this one. If you haven't, maybe this conversation will get you excited to go check it out at your local library. It's not streaming on Disney+, Plus, which I was kind of surprised about. Um, it, it, it fascinates me what they stream on there and what they don't. When, when I assumed maybe maybe i wrongly assumed that they have purchased the whole catalog of henson movies maybe it's just the muppets i don't know anyway so the dark crystal it starts with a voiceover exposition about a land that was once green and lush and beautiful but is now dark and dangerous the center of the conflict the crystal which cracked thousands of years ago and two new races appeared, the cruel, scheming Skeksis who live in a castle and have control over the crystal, and the gentle, wise mystics who 
I don't know, live in nature. They're kind of wizardy types. They were once both abundant, but now there are only 10 each of the Skeksis and Mystics. We quickly, quickly learned that this, when a Skeksi dies, so does a Mystic. So they have a connection to one another. They have a pair, I guess. So at the beginning of the movie, the Skeksis Emperor kind of disappears into a pile of dust because he's very old. He has died from old age. While at the same time, the Master Mystic slowly fades like a breeze. He just kind of disappears and his clothes remains there. So just before, though, that the Master Mystic dies, he tells a Gelfling, a kind of well, humanoid elven creature named Jen, who he raised Jen, about a prophecy. The Great Conjunction is nearing a time when the three suns will align. And Jen has been tasked, according to this prophecy, the last Gelfling alive must find the missing shard or the land will be trapped in darkness under the Skeksis rule forever. Jen isn't overly enthused about this prospect. He feels inadequate. He feels ill-prepared. Uh, all right, I'll go find this, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to do with it. But his master, as his master passes, he is wished well by the nine remaining mystics and just kind of goes out. He's supposed to find this creature named Agra. Agra is hard to explain. Um, I would kind of call her a witch of sorts, but she's really into science, but she has, and she has horns um, and very large breasts, and they chose to give her nipples, which I don't fully understand as a puppet. Um, she's, she has trouble sitting down. I don't know what she is. I don't know what she, she's weird. She's a little creepy. Anyway, that's what Jin does. He, he goes to find Agra. So he goes traipsing across the countryside to find the crazy scientist lady creature who has the shard. The mystic master said she's got the shard. We don't know why she has the shard, how she got the shard. None of that is revealed to us at that time or ever in the movie, which is frustrating. Meanwhile, back in the Skeksis castle, there is a trial by stone to determine who will be the next emperor. Uh, there's a particularly creepy Skeksis known as Chamberlain that whimpers and snivels a lot. And then there's another dude that we never learn his name. So uh, they take a sword and they each whack this stone with the sword and so we using context clues are to understand that if whoever cracks the stone whoever breaks the stone with their sword becomes the emperor the chamberlain loses uh so he is stripped of all of his belongings which is which is horrifying it is one of my least favorite parts of the movie and so the skexies kind of look like birds vultures in my head but like decayed bird vulture thingies and they wear robes and they I, I, they use their robes to I think kind of depict a hierarchy of sense but when they take they don't just take off his robes there is this bony structure they take off of his back so then he looks like a bird that has been without wings that has been plucked of all of its feathers it's awful. So when he loses, he is stripped of all of his belongings. And then um, he is banished from the castle forever, which becomes an important plot point in a bit. So don't forget that. Meanwhile, Jin finds Agra. Um, she seems it, that seemed relatively easy to do uh, where he's like, okay, my mystic master has sent me to you. You have a shard. And she goes, okay, you can come figure out. And she pulls out like a box of shards and just dumps them all over the ground. She's like, okay, figure out which one. And he has no idea what is going on or how to figure out which is the one. So he sits there for a long time. Meanwhile, she talks about the prophecy and she's got this 
I don't know. To me, it looks like a giant, like huge orrery. It reminds, if you've seen um, Lovecraft Country, Hopalida has that. If you haven't watched Lovecraft Country, it is it is spectacular. It's dark and it's disturbing and it's sad in a lot of different ways. But it's, again, beautiful storytelling. Um, and what was amazing about that, and I'm getting off topic, is that it was written, so it's, it's a... <laughs> It's a story told, it's like a fantasy supernatural thing, but um, the the cast is almost primarily black, and so it's written like by black script writers and storytellers and was directed, I mean, it, it's it's amazing. The, the artistry in it, between the words and how very specific they were with the words and what words they used and how they told the story and what perspectives they told in the story, um, to the casting, which was fantastic. It's excellent. It's, it freaked me out several times, but it's excellent. I got off topic, but it, it reminded me of the aura race. So it like planets moving around like a giant, um, uh, like diorama of sorts, I guess, uh, of showing how this conjunction is going to work and kind of predicting when the conjunction is going to happen. So she's talking about the prophecy. These, these things are whizzing around over her head because it's again, huge. And then Jen is just sitting on the floor trying to figure out which one is the real shard. So he then starts to play a little flute. Um, one of the shards starts to glow and he realized, aha, I found it. So, uh, which is great. So that is all taken care of. And in absolutely no time, the Gartham Bargin, which are these bug-like Skeksis henchmen, these bug-like creatures that come in, um, and they are supposed to, they've been sent out by the Skeksis to find the Gelfling and bring them to him. They know about the prophecy. They need to stop the prophecy. They end up capturing Agra because the Gartham apparently don't know what a Gelfling is, and Jin is able to escape. But Jin, again, has no idea where to go. He has no idea what's he supposed to be doing with this shard. So we get a lot of like inner dialogue with him um, where, again, his his um, confidence is kind of waning. He doesn't know what he's what's to do. Why was he chosen for this particular job? And as he's contemplating all of that, sitting in this, I don't know, to me, it kind of looked like a a bog. <laughs> there's, there's, I guess it's a nice little pond at one point. Um, he meets another Gelfling, which is curious again, because he was led to believe that he was the last one. And Jen realizes that when he touches this other Gelfling, this female named Kira, they end up dream fasting. So they share memories. So they get to see kind of where they came from, how they were raised and all of that. So they're sharing these memories with one another. They were both, of course, orphaned since they thought they were the last remaining Gelflings. And Kira was raised by yet another race of creatures, kind of, they're called the Podlings, I believe, who are these uh, peasanty farmer types. Um, so she was raised much differently than than Jen was. She's kind of more back to nature, <laughs> a little more hippie-ish, uh, wise, very wise, she seems to know kind of what's going on and she doesn't battle these insecurities that he is battling. And the Skeksis then aren't enthused when the Gartham bring back Agra, who they know instantly is in the Gelfling, um, and they really want to, to kill him. So they send out then these bats, these crystal bats, who kind of I don't know. They're like cameras. They can show what's happening. And so they are, the bats have gone out to look for Jen. So back to our Gelflings. Jen is telling Kira about the prophecy and, and they soon realize that they are being watched by those crystal bats. So they know that they have to get away. So Kira takes 
Jen to her home with the podlings, the pod people. <laughs> and they are singing and dancing, and it's a much different environment than he's familiar with, and they're having a great time. Um, but because the crystal bats had seen them and followed them, the Garthamnen attack the podlings. And many of the podlings are then um, kind of trapped by the Gartham and carted back to the Crystal Palace, the Crystal Castle with the Skeksis. We will later realize that the Skeksis use the podling creatures to suck out their essence to make them live longer, to give them energy and youth and that kind of thing. So they are using the essence to stay alive, to continue to live because they've been around for thousands of years, apparently. So now Kira and Jen are kind of stuck. They've got no safe place to go. Jen gets upset. He doesn't want this burden of this shard. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do with it. So he throws it. And when he throws it, um, Kira kind of is like, no, we can't do that. We have to go find it. And they find it in this garden. Um, I'm going to say it's a garden, a structure. It was an old Gelfling place um, that has the prophecy written on the walls. So they are looking at the prophecy and they realize that the shard has to be taken back to the Skeksis castle um, and put back into the crystal before the great conjunction. So before the sun's aligned, the shard needs to be back in the crystal or the Skeksis will rule forever. So everybody will be screwed. As they're there and they're working all of this out, Chamberlain, the Skeksi that lost the trial by stone, um, he comes and he's like, I want to help you. I want to help you. And he's whimpering and he's sniveling. And Kira realizes, no, we cannot trust him. This is not good. And so they run away. Um, but we now know that Chamberlain knows who the Gelflings are. He has seen them. Um, and that's not going to be good for them. He also knows that they know what is supposed to happen with the crystal shards. So they are then immediately heading to the castle. They've got to get to the castle before the Great Conjunction, which is, is coming. It, it, now they're in a rush for time. So Kira doing her natural mystical thing, she calls on these things called land striders, which kind of look like really bony bunny rabbits, very tall. <laughs> They're kind of like horses um, where they will then ride the land striders who can move very fast to get to the castle. When they get to the castle, they're confronted by Gartham, the poor land striders. They try to fight them off um, and they there's kind of like a modish situation around the castle. They have found a way in. So Jen and Kira jump from a height. Kira, female gelflings, apparently have wings. They float down and they get into the castle. I've completely forgotten to mention that this whole time, while Jen is off finding Agra, he's looking for the shard, all of that is going on. The, the mystics are traveling. They're very slow. They're big creatures. They have these tails. They walk with staffs. They are making their way to the castle as well. So we have the Skeksis in the castle. We have the Gelflings looking for the shard who have now arrived at the castle. And then we have the mystics who have been traveling this great distance to get to the castle as well before the Great Conjunction. We'll, we'll find out why they are headed there in just a few minutes here. So Jen and Kira, they're walking around the castle kind of looking for the shard or the crystal because they've got to put the shard in the crystal. And they get stopped by Chamberlain. Chamberlain wants to kidnap them and bring them to the other Skeksis like, hey, to get back in their good graces so that he can come back. Um, they The Gelflings are fighting Chamberlain. And during that fight, Jen hits the hits Chamberlain, hits the Skeksy in the hand, and it tears open his hand, and he starts to bleed. Cut to a mystic who then, his hand starts to bleed. Again, the connection. 
Chamberlain gets mad and it's like, you must die. And he hits part of this cave dwelling that's in the castle, part of the castle, and it knocks down and he's trying to kill Jen. So all of the structure falls on Jen and then Kira is taken away by Chamberlain. She is going to be taken to where the podling people are and they are going to try to suck out her essence. And I also forgot to mention, how could I forget one of the, the most adorable creatures in the entire movie Fizzgig, which is kind of like kira's little dog it's just this fluke that just screams all the time but he's very cute so he has stuck around and he is with jen and so they will be looking for kira to try to find where she is being held and then they're also looking for the crystal a lot's got to happen um, before the great conjunction happens which is that evening it's about the suns are about to align evening day that day i don't know what time of day it is Eh, there's just there's not a lot of context here despite that I mean they tried to give a lot of the backstory and the exposition at the beginning of the movie and you get it in some of the dream fasting you get a little bit of it from Agra you get some of it from the mystics as well as they're trying to tell Jen the master's trying to tell Jen about the prophecy despite kind of the lack of backstory what you know of a lot of content what happened to the other galflings we don't really know um where where these two races suddenly appeared where were they before we start to see some of that but there's not a lot to go on and that but still you have you know what's going on and that i think that's really fun i saw this in the movie inception too which i Christopher Nolan's Inception. I didn't fully understand that movie. But when you have a tension of time is running out, even when you don't understand anything, you know that element. You know that time is running out and it's really a race against time. And so I think that really heightens, you know, just the thrill of the movie and um, puts everybody on edge because like, you've got to go, you've got to go, you've got to go. And that's kind of where we are in this element as they start to get separated, Kira and Jen. So Chamberlain presents Kira to the other Skeksis. It does work. He's invited back into their their good graces. She is taken. Her essence is being sucked out. Just so happens that Agra is in the same room as Kira. And Agra's like, you have the gift. You have the gift. Use the gift. Because as their essence is being sucked out, they're kind of hypnotized of sorts. They They can't look away from this bright light. So she starts to yell, Kamalea. Um, almost yodels it in a way and it calls to the animals so all the other animals being trapped I guess any living being could have their essence sucked out that's keeping the the Skeksis alive Um, so all of these creatures start to to go into a flurry they escape their captivity and they are the ones that are going to help Kira get free that Kamalea so we it kind of echoes I don't know why we used to do this as a kid I don't know why, but my grandparents owned this adorable little cottage on this man-made lake not far from Greencastle, Indiana, and we would spend a lot of our summer weekends there. Uh, it was just, you know, the family place to go. It was quiet. There was this. There were two lakes, so we were kind of on the smaller lake, the quieter lake, and then there was the bigger lake, and you could, there was a tunnel, a metal tunnel um, that connected the two, and so we would often, you know, take the the motorboat or the canoe or the paddle boat over through the tunnel to this other big lake where it was a little deeper. You could swim. Um, they had floating docks. There were more people over there you could hang out with. But the, this tunnel was terrifying because it was very low. I mean, your head almost brushed the top and it was just filled with spiders, <laughs> filled with spiders. So most of the time I would just like have my head down in my legs as we sailed through just 
just telling myself that spiders weren't falling all over me. But one thing we loved to do was to yell Kamalea through there because she, like I said, she almost yodels it. And we would do that because it echo in the tunnel and we just thought that was great. I tell you, Jim Henson and the Muppets have been with me forever, have been with my family forever. We, we were always, you know, they always played a part one way or another, which I loved. So all of the creatures then help break Kira out. Very similar to Ludo calling on the rocks, the boulders to help them in the labyrinth, both at the Bog of Eternal Stench and then in the Goblin City. This ability to use nature to help you, this connection with nature, kind of travels through both of these movies, which is interesting. And this is kind of the time when everybody starts to converge on the sto the, the crystal, um, which is kind of in its own sacred part of the castle, its own room. Um, not temple of sorts, but sort of. So it's kind of, it is elevated within the middle of the room. So as Jen is looking down on the crystal, is trying to figure out how he's going to get the shard in there. Um, Kira is looking for Jen. She's coming closer. The Skeksis are walking into the room because the conjunction is almost there. The mystics are starting to arrive. So everybody is converging. The Gartham, they know that Jen is in the area. So they have tried to attack him. Everything is right by the crystal at this point. And there's just, there's no time left. So as the Gartham find the Skeksis yell, Gartham, Gartham, they're all coming back at Jen. Jen jumps onto the crystal to try to put the shard where it needs to go, but he drops it, of course. Um, as one of the Skeksis is trying to pick up the shard, Fizzgig comes out of nowhere and starts to bite his hand. That's when we have Kira jumping down. She was on a ledge looking from above. She jumps down because she has wings, glides down. She picks up the shard. She's not at her best because some of her essence has been sucked out of her body. The conjunction is almost done. This is looking bad. She then tosses the shard at Jen. Just as she does that, she is stabbed by the emperor. So she is now hurt. The conjunction is happening. They're watching. There's a little triangle in the ceiling where they're watching all of the sun's kind of converge. Um, a, a light starts to shine down on the crystal. Jen then stabs the shard into its place into the crystal and um, things start, the castle starts to fall apart. The podlings are free. The mystics arrive. The Skeksis um, don't, you know, they realize they have lost. And then we see a, a very cool, but confusing at times thing where the mystics and the Skeksis merge. So that is how they became two creatures. When when the shard was cracked from the crystal, when the crystal was cracked, um, this one being became two. So the mystics and the Skeksis are actually like two parts of one creature. So everything starts, they merge back together. Um, Kira is saved. Agra saves Fizzgig, who was tossed into a hole, which is great. Our little furry creature, he's still going to live. The joint mystic and Skeksy creatures, they kind of turn into orbs of light and disappear. They float up into the ether of sort or, or kind of merge into the crystal. It's kind of hard to tell what's going on. <laughs> um, and Jen and Kira are tasked with creating a world filled with light. It's very, um, very mystical, new agey towards the end. Very interesting. And that's kind of the end. These two poor little gelflings are, um, are tasked with creating a whole new world. And the scary Skeksy castle becomes a kind of scary glass pretty castle. I don't know. <laughs> the end.
So a few inter- interesting tidbits about the movie. At the time it was made, it was hailed as the only live action movie in which a human character makes no appearance, with the exception of some wide shots of the Gelflings, like I mentioned, when um, Jen is like crawling up things, it's clearly a person in a Gelfling suit. It would have been the first live action movie where no human actors appeared. Jim Henson personally trimmed 20 minutes from this movie after disastrous preview in San Francisco, California. He also ordered many of the character voices redubbed to eliminate some of the invented character languages. I guess there were just too many different languages, making the movie more accessible and the plot easier to follow. The little hairy things that crawl across um, and that I believe the same ones that um, Kira calls when she yells Kamalea. These were modified wind-up toy robots that run like crazy on two legs um, as a round rolling central body that houses the wind-up motor. The wind-up key was removable, so that's kind of cool that they used a wind-up toy. The land striders were originally conceived as land spiders, and various brainstorming sessions were held to decide how best to create and perform such a creature. When Robbie Barnett first proposed using stilts to create the look of the land striders, each creature was to be played by, so at the time when it was land spiders, but they were going to use the stilts, um, each creature was to be played by two performers, giving a total of six legs, two long front and middle appendages, the performer in front, and two shorter ones in the back. The idea was soon discarded for being too difficult, and four legs were settled upon. So that's a few interesting things. I hope if you haven't watched it in a while or you've never seen it that you that you give The Dark Crystal a try. Again, there's a lot kind of missing and they've actually gone back to do a lot of the prequel stuff. There's the series on Netflix. There's quite a few actually um, graphic novels that are available that talk more about the Gelflings and, and how the crystal was cracked and all of that because we never learn how the crystal was cracked. Uh, so I highly recommend going back and watching it, especially for just the artistry again of the, of the way that the world worked and looked and the creatures that were created so interesting and distinct and um creepy but it's it's amazing to watch what they were able to do with puppetry too and i try to think now and i've mentioned this before that cgi and i had a hard time i tried to watch the thing on netflix and i need to go back and try again but the cgi ruins it for me there's something genuinely magical about the puppetry itself and so when that kind of element is taken out and a lot of the action and the movement and stuff is computer generated it's just not the same so go watch the original the dark crystal it's fantastic pair it with the labyrinth it's a good weekend just watch them back to back but that is it for today thank you so much for listening really it is so appreciated if you haven't already i hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together and if you've got the time it would be awesome if you could rate and review the podcast so that other individuals like you who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about they can join in on the fun as well or if you want to share the podcast that would be awesome too you can follow me on instagram and twitter at at gnomegirlm and on facebook as a bit of fun with emily Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time.